And so that's what I do. I like write the algorithms, I input the data. Um, and it doesn't have to just be satellite images. It can be other like environmental data. So right now I'm testing out like temperature, precipitation, um, like carbon stocks, nitrogen stocks, like things like that, uh, which are known to influence this um, invasive shrub. Welcome to Coffee and Geography, where my guests and I geek out about the world and everything on it, discovering that we are all geographers in some way, shape or form. I'm your host, Kit, and my pronouns are they, them or she, her. So settle down with a brew, hit that subscribe or follow button and enjoy the listen. This podcast is sponsored by the World Energy and Meteorology Council, or WEMSI for short. WEMSI is an international organisation focused on weather and climate data to support energy transition, and we also work with educators. WEMSI have created TEAL, an easy-to-use, free visualisation tool that enables you to explore climate variables for the past 70-plus years. Get started at tealtool.earth. Find us at wemcouncil.org and follow us on Twitter at wemcouncil. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Coffee and Geography. We are moving swiftly on um, with the guests here after the GA conference a few weeks ago. Please do give that a listen if you haven't done so already. And after my jaunts to Qatar with Emily and Massachusetts with Adina and Kelly, I'm coming back to the UK tired and jet lag well I'm, this is all proverbial because i've actually not gone anywhere i'm just you know virtually but back to uh maidstone in the united kingdom um millie millie harding how are you doing this morning yeah i'm doing well uh it's really nice and sunny at the moment so it's pretty sort of pleasant to be up right now <laughs> it really is so this is really interesting from a meteorological point of view because it's not well here in the east of england you're down there in the southeast has it it hasn't rained at all for like two two weeks, two and a half weeks, I think. Have, have you had much rain? I don't think so. Like I've moved back up to uni, so I'm at that. Oh, you're back up there. Okay, so yeah. you, you might have a slightly different weather than us then. Yeah, I think – I don't think it rained like very recently. Um, but, yeah, it's been pretty sort of sunny the past couple of like weeks, which has been quite nice and quite unusual for being sort of so far up north. Oh, this is very true, yeah, and it's uh, it's it's quite interesting. I know the sort of the farmers down here in uh, I, I almost went farmers. <laughs> I just did uh, the farmers here in East Anglia are a little bit nervous of how dry it's been mm-hmm. um, because when it gets dry in the East of England, it gets really dry. What have we done? It's classic. We're back in the UK, and the first thing we do is talk about the weather. Okay, let's introduce you, Millie. So <laughs> Millie has uh, first has just finished her degree at Durham University, which is why she's not down in Maidstone at the moment. She's back up north. Okay. In geography, amazing. Uh, Millie's dissertation looked at how the current subsidy system affects farmers. Um, so it was completely coincidental I mentioned farmers and how changes would impact them. Millie is currently working on a project based on the work that she did as part of the Darin Butts internship at Harvard University. Did I pronounce that right? Darin yeah, yeah. yeah, Darin Butts. Yeah. I know I pronounced Harvard University correct. <laughs> <laughs> um, and this project uses machine learning algorithm to predict the location of an invasive shrub in the Alaskan Arctic. And the team were able to achieve proof of concept. And so they are currently planning field work for summer 2022. Amazing. So you haven't been to Alaska, but no. you're going to, are you going to Alaska? Um, 
Yes, or you're, we're, we're hoping. Uh, you're hoping, right? Yeah, it's very expensive to go do field work, so we're I kind can of imagine like grabbing money from various <laughs> like scrounge up. Um, but yeah, so we're still planning to go um, this summer, which is oh, very oh, amazing. We'll come back and speak and speak uh, about that in a bit more detail. Right then, so um, I have got my cup of tea. It's been it's been a challenging morning, you know, but. Um, it's okay. Sometimes you do sometimes. So I am having my third cup of tea already. Um, but what have you got, Millie, <laughs> with you um, this morning? I haven't managed to have a cup of tea. Usually I'll have my one sort of allotted cup of tea a day. Um, <laughs> but I have, I've just got some water at the moment, which yeah, is not sensible. very interesting. Yeah, I, yeah, you're very, very sensible there. What, what, kind, what kind of tea do you usually drink then? Oh, is it you? Yeah, no, I've got a specialty. Um, oh, a specialty. Yeah, uh, it's called, it's by the Brew Tea company english breakfast brew tea company yeah, Pro- and i love it at the bottom line so millie just showed me the box here proper tea bags it says yeah it's really nice like <laughs> and you know it's definitely a bit more expensive than sort of your average tea but i only have one cup of tea a day so it's sort of like it's okay it lasts me a while <laughs> yeah i'm 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 the kind of person who will reuse tea bags until the tea tastes water you know <laughs> and then i'll be like okay perhaps it's now time for except for this morning because it's been a hectic morning. This is actually my third proper tea bag. Uh, so pretty cool. Um, we'll have to look that one up, stick it on the coffee and geography map. Uh, I haven't mentioned the coffee and geography map um, very recently, uh, so people should know about it. So what will happen really with that is that we'll stick the company and if I can source the tea where it comes mm-hmm. from, both those will go on the coffee and geography map um, with your location. And the idea is for teachers and students or just anyone who's interested to look at this map and see like the distribution of guests, see the distribution of coffee gr- or tea growers, um, where the companies are based and for them to explore their claims to sustainability. So when mm-hmm. we brand drop these folks, it's to investigate them, not to promote them. Yeah. Oh, and if they're sustainable these listeners are going to want to buy their products so they better be the same so thanks for sharing that millie um right so you're not we already mentioned you're not down in maidstone at the moment but that's that's your is that your hometown that area of um, southeast england so i have a very complicated oh god this is gonna be amazing okay so i grew up in southeast london and i lived there till i was like 10 then we moved out to kent okay in um tunbridge for a couple of years and now we live out like just outside of Maidstone. Um, so yeah, it's a bit, bit of a sort of journey, but yeah. <laughs> so you've gone, yeah, you've kind of like slowly pulled southeast mm-hmm. and then you kind of jumped all the way up to Durham. Yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, and yeah, my family's migration pattern throughout a few generations was quite similar, kind of like slowly move. It's like, it was like Ipswich in Suffolk and kind of mm. down then it was Reading and then East London. And that's where the Cockney background comes from. And then uh, me up here. But um, that's that's quite a fair bit. I mean, just coming from, it doesn't look like much on a map from yeah. that part of London out to Tunbridge and then out, you know, and then out to Maidstone. It's just a little bit. But tell me, like, do you have any like memories or anything? Because, you know, because you, you said you moved out of London when you were 10 where you kind of thought, wow, this this is different, like living in Tunbridge, living in Kent yeah. compared to London. I was like, I was appalled when I heard that. <laughs> I remember just being like, where am I? Like, why have you taken me to this place? Um, 
like I think looking back on it now that I'm older like I think it was like a really good thing that we did move um because around where I was like it was literally like some of the worst like secondary schools in London oh yeah um and like consistently and it just has never gotten any better so like I think it was the right thing to do um but yeah at the time I was like oh my god (laughs) where have you taken me or why have you done this um but yeah, I think it was a good thing. And also in some ways it was quite good for when I was older and coming to uni, um, because it meant by the time I got to uni, I was actually very okay with, you know, moving myself somewhere completely new right? and just going. Whereas I know that like sort of just through people that I knew from school and stuff, like a lot of people did find it difficult to do that because it was the first time they'd ever moved in their lives. And so, you know, it's a big thing moving for the first time. And having to like leave everything you know and go somewhere new, mm. regardless of sort of what age. So, this, so you would have been to your primary school mm-hmm. in London, and then your secondary school experience would have been out in Kent. And then, yeah. so you feel that that kind of moving that transition has actually helped you to kind of. Do you think this is going to be a tough question because yeah. you know I don't usually ask what if questions, but this this is just interesting I think for people to listen to because we do have a lot of educators listening, yeah, um, and a lot of educators for the you know the vast majority for the right reason will try and push their kids to university and dispel myths about university you know that it does sound like it's expensive etc etc but that's 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 for another yeah. a thing for another time i would just i'll just say martin lewis money saving expert student guide all that kind of stuff amazing mm-hmm. about university fees and whatnot um do you feel you would have maybe ended up at university at all if you'd stayed in london or you would have done if maybe, but it probably would have stayed local. You probably would have went to a London university. I mean, can can you even can you even answer that? What if hypothetical? Um, a little bit, I think, um, because like the eleven plus is like a big thing both in Kent and in London. Really? Um, yeah, and I I'll, I'll explain a little bit about it because sure. like, I didn't realise that people didn't know until I came to uni, and they were like, "What's the eleven plus?" And I was like, "Oh," <laughs> um, but the eleven plus is a test that you take. Uh, when you're supposed to be 11, I was 10, um, you take it in your final year. It kind of varies by county, but I took English, maths, um, nonverbal reasoning and verbal reasoning. And if you get over a certain amount of points, you go to a grammar school. And that's how they saw the education. So I think if we'd stayed in London and I had gone to a grammar school, then yes, I would have gone to university and I don't think that my trajectory would have necessarily been much different in terms of going to university. Maybe I wouldn't have done geography, I don't know. Um, but I think if I hadn't, then I really don't know whether would I would have gone to university or if I would have been like at Durham. Wow, that is, I'll tell you what, that is interesting. And I, I'm going to admit my ignorance here because um, I I honestly believed the 11 plus was a thing of the past a part of the you know the whole uk education system where it was a way of segregating you know people on there i did not realize that it still took place in some places yeah wow that is incredible um oh i don't know how i feel about that (laughs) to be honest um because I'm, i'm a firm believer that you know everybody has has the potential of achieving great things and some of those great things may not come down the academic route, but they may need the support of a college, further education or higher education establishment to fulfill that potential. And of course, another myth is, is that 
if you're going to university, you have to have the top grades. You have to be, you know, academic. You've got to be studious. Whereas for the job that I do at the mo- moment now with the University of Stanglia, but I'm part of an impartial project to try and raise aspirations for any higher education, not just the UEA, I've very quickly realized that you don't need to be yeah. academic. And and like, for example, we spoke to Karis uh, Marianne, who's an ex-student of mine. Um, she's she's the, the same age as you. Mm-hmm. And she has a working class background, bright student, bright kids, very hardworking, um, but never really thought herself that she was university material. But then, but, but when she, she wanted to do it because she's that driven, but when she got to sixth form, she thought Acade- academia is not for me, but I still want to, and now she's ended up at university and what she's doing, and it was perfect for her because she ended up doing more kind of practical-based stuff and research-based stuff, which suited her better than just the pure cognitive academic stuff. And she's thriving now. She's doing a PhD. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, and I just really, really – I. Yeah, and it just so goes to show, doesn't it, that you've just said that how your life might have diverged so much if you fell one side of the fence or the other, or maybe if you didn't move. So thank you for sharing that with us. So you did move. Um, um, How much of the East London, Maidstone, Tunbridge did you take up to Durham with you? Like, did you get there and do you feel a bit out of place or do you feel actually at home? You You felt welcome. How did that feel when you got up there? Yeah, I mean, for the most part, because like, how am I? I'm nearly like 22 now. So actually, last year was the first time that I'd lived out of London longer than I'd like been in London. Okay, yeah, yeah. So, like, I tend to just say, oh, you know, I'm from like Kent, and that would usually suffice because like no one knows like anything in Kent unless they live there. <laughs> <laughs> or they have friends who live in Kent. Um, but yeah, I think it was fine. Like I didn't have too much of a problem like in terms of socially fitting in i actually found that i really struggled with like imposter syndrome when i started right um, okay because like i got like one gcse uh, one a star uh, like gcse's the rest were like just a to b so like fine but nothing amazing certainly nothing that you would normally get from like durham students and then i scraped my way into durham and like really scraped my way in i got two A's and a C and I got my C in art and thankfully the department just like didn't pay any attention to that um, <laughs> but my first couple of weeks people were like oh yeah I got like you know nine A stars at like you know GCC uh, three A stars at A level <laughs> I remember like they were going around and I was just being like please do not like ask me what I got because I was so like oh my god like all these people got such amazing grades and I just did not at all and after the first like assignment it was fine um and to be honest it was more within like my like college um so Durham also has a similar college system to like Oxbridge um but yeah after, like after we all settled in it was fine but I remember being like oh my god no one asked me no one talked to me about race <laughs> um and like that was really hard um and that was not something that I was expecting um but yeah like it was a very sort of brief amount of time and then yeah I think the only other time I sort of severely struggled with like imposter syndrome was after I got my degree results um because like I got 2-1 and it was fine and I had some stuff happen during my degree which meant that I nearly like full out failed my third Mm. year uh, my second year um 
but I'd also been admitted to go to Harvard for that internship. And so it was a very like weird time. But yeah, so I saw loads of people getting like firsts and stuff and like going into jobs. And like, obviously I was very pleased because I was going to Harvard, but I also really struggled because I was like, oh my God, like, you know, I'm going to Harvard, but I haven't got a first. Like, you know, was I still good enough to do what I wanted to do afterwards? And like, obviously the answer has been like, yes, and it's been fine. Oh, congratulations. (laughs) I'm only meeting you for the very first time and I already feel proud of you. You know, that's amazing. Um, thank you so much for sharing that. I know that there's going to be a lot of people identifying what you just what you just said. Me especially, I had my circumstances were almost identical to yours in terms of not doing well at my GCSEs for various reasons, only scraping into university, um, feeling like I didn't fit in to start with because of like all these. But you know, I got <clears throat> I got to I got. Um, what did I get for my GCSEs? For my GCSEs, I got three A's, four B's, two C's, and a D. And my, for my A levels, um, in different circumstances, a different world, I would have got a lot better. I was estimated at least three B's, and I got um, two C's and a D, <laughs> uh, geography, physics, and IT. And I failed maths. I had to drop maths at AS level. Um, so when I went to university, I was like, what am I, I had the exact, what am I doing here? What am I doing here? And I just realized that actually, after a while, that that imposter syndrome never really goes away. But after a while, you think actually, I, I I am welcome here. I can do it. And I was I was one of only two people in my atmospheric physics course um, in the second year to get um, on on this really tricky assignment, which which involved like differentiation equations and stuff stuff like that to get a hundred percent. So I was like, I I don't even know how i even managed that so um that imposter syndrome really really doesn't really go away you're always going to have that because um but i i what i try and do i try and flip it and think why am i having imposter syndrome is it think you know rather than thinking i can't surely i'm not good enough to do this surely i've just fluked this surely i'm winging it sure you know all those negative things i try and flip them and go no why am i feeling like this because this is a product of me working hard of my journey that I took to get here. You know, I know that I've earned this as much as anybody else has done. And if, if I wasn't meant to be here today, I wouldn't be here kind of in an Mm -hmm. academic sense or a career sense. So congratulations on that journey. And, uh, it's character building. It really is character building. Um, and yeah, because when people say Durham and Harvard, they're like, well, yeah, of course you've got like tons of A stars or, or nines as eight and nines as that it would be now. Of course it would be. So teachers listening again. Okay. Let's try and I was guilty of this as well to some extent. Let's try and not push our students to think that the grades are be all and end all because Millie is demonstrating if if they're not getting the grades that they feel they deserve, they could still go out and do amazing things. So and you are doing amazing things. And I've done a deliberately done a segue here because <laughs> This amazing thing, which is you've just mentioned about being accepted to Harvard University. I want to talk about this. This is going to sound yeah. so cool. Machine learning algorithm to predict the location of an invasive shrub in the Alaskan Arctic. Okay. I know what machine learning algorithms are because I listen to, uh, and I think you'll love this, um, BBC Digital Planet. It's a really good podcast. 
And actually, they have quite a lot of features about machine learning and AI and stuff like that. So I think that's be worth listening. And I've mentioned them so much. They've got to get me, give me another mention on their podcast now. It's like it's the like third time I mentioned them. So for people who don't know, explain what machine learning is. Yeah, sure. Um, so machine learning is basically the idea that you can tell um, like an algorithm or basically like a formula that you want a certain outcome. So in my case, the outcome we want is we want it to select where it thinks a specific shrub would be located in um, time and space. Um, and so there's very different, like various different ways of doing it. So I'll just talk quickly about the ways that I'm focusing on. Um, so I use random forests and uh, support vector machines. And so random forests are exactly like a sound. Um, it's lots of like trees sort of inverted commas um that make decisions about what they think um the image should be or what they think the classification should be and so broadly what i'm using are classification algorithms to sort of classify images um satellite images in my case so i basically feed the um algorithm the satellite image and i say okay so I'm going to use random forest. So I want the random forest to identify where it thinks this invasive shrub is. And it creates loads of like trees and all the trees vote on what they think each chunk of image is. And so I feed it seven different classes ranging from like water, um, invasive shrub, uh, sort of other tall shrubs, because uh, we're looking at the Alaskan tundra, um, like road, rock, snow, things like that. Um, and then what it'll do is it'll run um, the image like through the algorithm, and the algorithm goes, okay, right. So everyone together, like, what do you, what do you all think this image is? Um, and so sort of spits out an image at the end, all nicely classified for me. <laughs> And when I feed in the information, usually I just give it little sort of like reference points on an image just to say, this is what you should be looking for. Um, and so that's sort of how random forest works. Obviously, it's a little bit more like complicated than that. And there's a lot more like technical stuff behind it. But sure. at the broadest level, that is how it works. And so it's quite nice. It's a very sort of easy classifier. Um, I quite like it. And then on the other side, you have support um, vector machines, which is basically a more efficient way of classifying images. It's considered a more efficient classifier. And what it does is it basically says, okay, between these data points, like what is the furthest distance away? And that's where it creates like a classification boundary. And that's how it decides like what gets sorted into what um, classification like category. And then we'll split out an image at the end as well. Um, and so that's what I do. I like write the algorithms, I input the data. Um, and it doesn't have to just be satellite images, it can be other like environmental data. So right now I'm testing out like temperature, precipitation, um, like carbon stocks, nitrogen stocks, like things like that, uh, which are known to influence this um, invasive shrub. It's called alder. I realize I haven't actually said what it's called. It's called alder. Um, and it's known to like influence where alder is located across the landscape in sort of like previous literature where people have gone and like actually physically sampled the different conditions um and so yeah it's quite like an interesting thing it's quite new within um 
general, like, um, I guess, remote sensing. Um, like, when I say new, I mean, like, sort of last 10 years or so. Um, Jobbook has quite a long history. So <laughs> things when you say new, it doesn't necessarily mean recent. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I think it's really interesting. Just, like, I'm not a massive, like, computer science person, so it's been, like, quite unusual like learning about all of this but i've really enjoyed it and you know i love gotta love a map you know yes it's, <laughs> it's always very exciting for me you'll let you'll have lots of fair to say in that don't worry <laughs> Hi folks, a chance for you to recharge your brew, but also a polite prod to remind you that it's so easy to support this podcast. Simply liking, sharing, rating and reviewing means that it will get on more people's radar. Also, there are a few links down in the description which may be of mutual benefit. Please do check them out. On, on, your Google form, on the Google form for, for the podcast, you said that... Um, you know, you understand the world has been shaped by geography and whatnot, and you love the fact that um, geography, in in a certain way, and the way you think through geography is very is quite unique to between you know from other disciplines, and uh, that is just such a perfect way to to kind of describe that. And um, it's because, and you know what, the other thing that I thought about when you were when you were talking there, when you mentioned about Alder, of course, it's like. Yeah, in the Alaskan tundra, that would be an invasive species. Whereas, yeah. I've got order in my garden, you know, <laughs> uh, and where my my where we go out in the states with the family, there's plenty of order around. That's where it belongs, you know. But now I'm thinking that um, just for, for podcast listeners, that was my youngest knocking on the uh, front room living room window. Hello. Okay, so uh, I'm not in it now because sometimes those can be cute. <laughs> So Kai is in his tiger suit, and he's um, and he's poking his, his stick at me through the window. Right, excuse that little interlude, everybody. Um, so I've lost my train of thought. So yeah, it's and then I'm thinking now because especially in places like um, in Montana and which, which is where I go to quite a lot, and then in Canada, um, that cr- I can just now picture that creeping up into the into Alaska, moving itself north and westwards. So. Um, that's first of interesting how things that we see around us in our environment that could be invasive in other environments. So that's mm-hmm. the first thing that came to mind. And then the second thing that came to mind is, is that we're all worried and nervous about AI and machine learning. And then this kind of like AI singularity where robots take over or take over the world, but actually we're kind of like training them to do these kind of tasks for us and maybe spot patterns and spot things that the human eye can't but it needs our input to train these things. Um, I don't know if this is the case with your one, because I've heard a lot with machine learning that it reaches a critical point where it can now teach itself, which I guess is what, what people are, are worried about in the sci-fi world. Um, is this the case with your algorithm, or have, you, have you've got to keep feeding it and teaching it, or is this going to be a point where you where you reach that um, bit where – the the AI will turn and say right okay now thanks for teaching me I now know what I'm looking for I can actually now continue to say well teach myself to say if I see this thing on this image or this temperature data it's probably this and no I'm going to correct myself does that happen with with your one with machine learning or 
So yes and no. So okay. yes, in terms of like, I will feed it an initial like image and say, look in these polygons because this has all the data that you're looking for. And then it will sort of train itself and then it'll spit out a final model. And then I use that model and apply that to a new area or a larger area of the Alaskan tundra. But like, it wouldn't do it unless I ran the code. Like I would have okay. to sit there and press like command enter. Deep <laughs> learning is more of the stuff where it can teach itself and it can do that recursive sort of like thinking. Um, and especially AI as well with like natural language processing models and things like that. Um, but yeah, no, mine is like the very sort of basic, like, you know, write the code, press enter, <laughs> run it. And, you know, it doesn't do any sort of independent stuff by itself. Cool. And good example there of, of, of coding, computer science and geography all mixing together and how, why coding is, is so important. Yeah. And I just wanted, for people of my age and older, like I just didn't want, well, I want people to think, is this kind of Skynet from Terminator or something like that? Yeah. Like, no, <laughs> no, it really isn't. Uh, but uh, that's just so, so fascinating. So, okay. Well, nothing published has come out. Okay. Doesn't mean it hasn't happened, just means it hasn't been published. Yeah. Um, like has sort of mapped where older is because in alaska because geography does not exist as a discipline in the, US, in the united states yeah <laughs> and just unbelievable but it doesn't exist and they don't do gis and so it is that combination of my colleagues ecology sort of knowledge plus the gis and remote sensing and coding that we both bring to the table that has allowed us to sort of do this project and then, of course, coming to the the reason why we do these kind of things, which is which is what gives geography its its power and you know and what it can bring to the world, because you mentioned a few variables there, which which are changing in Alaska, and Alaska, of course, is one of the places in the world where they're changing quite rapidly. Things mm -hmm. like temperature. So, um, have you so? Because this kind of work is multidisciplinary and it's collaborative, you have so many different experts who come in and work on this kind of stuff. Um, I'm not sure how much to an extent you can answer this question, but because there might be someone, another team who takes this on. But yeah. but obviously you, you, you're going to have to have a preamble and for your abstract say why you do this. So why is this important, this work? Why is it that you are looking at this invasive species, in this case order, in the Alaskan Arctic What's the point, basically? Why, why, yeah. why, do, why, do, why, do, why do we fund these kind of things? Um, so I think the really interesting thing about alder is that it fixes nitrogen from the atmosphere. So it takes nitrogen and like just sort of as it floats around in the air and then fixes it into a bioavailable form um, using like a sort of uh, like fungi that it lives in its like root nodules that it coexists with um but the reason this is really important is because the tundra has been traditionally nitrogen limited so only nitrogen fixing like um or other nitrogen fixing shrubs can exist there and generally have not existed existed as high because they can absorb nitrogen and fulfill their own sort of nitrogen needs but Alder also leaches quite a lot of nitrogen into the surrounding soils. And so right. that means you can get other plants that would have never normally existed in the Arctic. Okay. But because it's warming and because there's more nitrogen, you're getting all those other plants coming up and colonizing the Arctic. And so that's like 
eradicating stuff like lichens. Oh my goodness! Like like uh, sort of native species to the like Panarctic, I guess, because it's happening in uh, like northern sort of Fennoscandia and Russia. But it's happening in Canada as well. So like that's why it's a really big problem. Um, and there seems to be like implications for like caribou and like. Of course, yeah. yeah. So you've got this. Then you'd have this. You could potentially have this this bottom up trophic cascade then which for what people not sure what that is it's when you get a change in if you if you picture you know you can go back to school if you picture this your, your trophic levels of 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 an ecosystem so you've got your your uh comp- your decomposers and you've got your primary you know your, your plants and then you go up up the food chain up if you so wish the bottom up cascade is when something down the bottom changes substantially which it has a knock-on effect up the ladder and if a, an example of a top-down trophic cascade is for example removing keystone predators like wolves from yellowstone and then it has an effect the other way um that's i didn't know that's so so in other words order is like a it's like almost like a catalyst for change if it establishes itself other things are gonna go so order's basically like i'm here folks i found this lovely new place come join me basically yeah Yeah. so oh and then that's that will accelerate these cascade changes Mm -hmm. um and we know, as you just said, we know how fragile that these environments are, you know, so Siberia, Alaska, all these, these tundra areas. And, um, and of course, all the work that they've been doing nature, you know, with, with regulating different cycles, you know, uh, natural cycles of our biosphere, they're, they're also going to be impacted. Yeah. I mean, so that's really fascinating. So again, I'm going to say it, Millie, that's pretty proud of you because that is pretty impressive important work that you're doing and it's I mean, amazing that all this stuff goes on really you have to thank my colleague for that like <laughs> that's mainly like his sort of like stuff <laughs> he bag. like yeah he's a sort of hardcore like ecologist who's like very fascinated by older and like the sort of nitrogen fixing aspects um he's just sort of taught me all about it so now i know <laughs> go and give me give me a name drop oh yeah sure he's called a uh, calvin heslop if you um we have a project like Twitter. It's called uh, it's like at Alder in Arctic. Ah, um, oh, we can and we're right. both packed in Alder the in Arctic. Follow that, everybody. That's it. We can keep up to date with how you're getting on. Um, yeah, and as we've already mentioned, of course, it is a collaboration. It is a team effort. There's different levels of expertise because if we all try and did this stuff on our own, we'd you know science and geography wouldn't progress progress further. So, right, okay. One last thing before we um, finish off, them is it's just a lovely, lovely thing here. As I I put. You 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 struggled to put uh, a non geographical thing in the non geographical box, right? <laughs> which is which is fine because it is a bit of a trick question, to be honest. Because you said here that um, I said, can you say one thing that you can't relate to geography? And you put, but you put, you know, I love meeting up with friends and catching up over dinner because we're pretty scattered now. Uh, <laughs> now that we've gathered, and it's so lovely to come back together. So yeah, I I, I, I can probably I would have like got to that box and got like, what the hell do I put? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so. Obviously, that's very important to you. You're making sure that you can, um, you know, catch up with friends and dinner. So, um, and you went out this morning for a, for a drink, I believe, just a uh, bit yeah, of coffee just, and whatnot. Or yeah, two? just walking around Durham with a friend. Oh, that's so lovely. So, okay, how are we going to approach this? In a non, I can't approach this really in a non-geographical way. Um, no, I, I, I submit. <laughs> I give up. Okay, so friends. Then you don't have to name any name. You can name drop if you want. Um, 
So your friends then, what parts of the what parts of the country or maybe even the world are they from that you hang out with? If you want to name drop, you can. You don't have to. You can just say where they're from. Um, I'll say where they're from because yeah, yeah sort of we don't have any. Con- we, yeah. we 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 can't assume consent. <laughs> um, yeah. So uh, the person I met up with this morning, um, they live in Newcastle. Um, so we both did geography at Durham, and that's sort of how I met them. Um, my other friends. Most of them are down like south, so there's a like where I went to school, they're all like really close together. Um, so there's like three schools, and they're all like there's two girls' schools and one boys' school. Um, and most of my friends who are currently in the south are people that didn't go to my school, but like I met at university, and then I met their friends, and that we're all sort of friends because we like basically all had the same sort of experience growing up going to all of those schools um which is really nice so they're all sort of down south um I've got one friend who's like in the like very north like up towards sort of like Scotland um because they're on placement um a lot of my school friends are engineers so (laughs) Oh, um, those engineers. <laughs> oh, yeah, I know. They <laughs> used to tell me things. So I'm like, okay, that's nice. Um, so, yeah, I think they're, like, the furthest away. And then, yeah, everyone's sort of, like, down south, um, either at university or, like, working um, sort of jobs at home or in London. Yeah. something Because in London, of course, you would have had people who were quite diverse, but they were from a very maybe set community with a little bit of um, mixing from other communities. But, yeah. How does it feel to kind of like have all these different people from different parts of the country? Has it kind of enriched you as a person? Have you like picked up some? Has it been like really good friends from other part of the country? You're like maybe I don't pick up picked up their quirks or something like that. <laughs> um, Durham as a place, like well, not as a place as a university, is very much like the south in the north. So I'd say all bar one of my friends from Durham live in the south normally. Okay. And so, like, for me, it was actually, like, it didn't change a lot of things. Um, Invasion and, of the summoners. Ah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, yeah, like, when my school friends and me, like, we went to uni, um, like, I went the furthest away. And so it was quite nice. Like, obviously, I picked Durham for a reason. You know, I really like it here. I'm very sort of pleased that I came. Um, but it's also a very, like, quirky university in the same way that, like, Oxbridge are right. and so um, sometimes I'd be like saying things my friends would be like what are you on about like, <laughs> I'd be like Don't you have this they're like no okay yeah. Cool. um but yeah I think it's nice to like be able to spread out and then it'll come back sort of together and like I think everyone anyway will end up moving sort of as time goes on and as we all go like sort of forward in our lives like I don't think that I will stay in one place mm. forever like once I finish uni, especially as I want to go and do like research as a career. So I know I'll be like hopping around quite a lot. Um, so in some ways I'm kind of pleased that we've all like separated and then like for the most part come back together because it yeah. means like, I know we can do that sort of like distance thing, you know, and it's not going to be like, oh, well, you know, we stop seeing each other in person like every week and we stop being sort of friends. It's like, no, we are friends because we generally I want to be friends yeah. of course we've got things that we're doing right now aren't we like virtual communication and whatnot yeah, yeah that's that's lovely I, lo- I love that kind of um 
kind of sense of you've got a really good strong friendship from where you're from you kind of all go away you do your you do your own thing and you come back with all these fresh and it must must keep like the the friendships and dynamics quite fresh and and whatnot yeah. and it's lovely to see if, if how your friends change and and the, and maybe the new dynamics between the friendship group kind of like manifest themselves yeah i think it's quite funny because like my like best friend from like university um they went to one of the secondary schools like because tumbridge has like three grammar schools very close together and everyone like knows everyone but we never met and it was only when we came to the post office day at durham that we met yeah and that happens so again, yeah. Like, when we came like fully i mean everyone received their offer and everything i was like i know you like come here we're gonna be friends <laughs> Um, and so we ended up being friends and then it turned out that I knew their friends from when we were at school and we both like both groups of friends have been to like parties and stuff so I like rocked up to a birthday party and I was like hello yeah that's true it does happen doesn't it the the degrees of separation do seem to shrink you you go to a university of it you know of most sizes like the size of Durham size of UEA Oxbridge whatever (laughs) there's probably someone there who you're only maybe one or two degrees separated Yeah. yeah, it's it's surprising how closely linked we are all together. I I don't know. I, I this might be an, a quote a myth, um, but um, I think some I think there was some statistic out there like everyone in the world is only separated by like six degrees of separation mm-hmm. or something like that. Um, I don't know whether that's true. I don't know whether I heard it as one of these Facebook science kind of things. I don't know. <laughs> someone let us know if that's true or not um, because that it wouldn't surprise me in a way. Bearing in mind what you just said, bearing in mind like. Um, I spoke to someone at the GA conference um, from Harlow in Essex, where I'm from, and mm. it turned out <clears throat> this didn't make it onto the podcast recording. But uh, we had before we chatted, we had a chat, and we found out that the person who was manning the stall uh, for Oxford University Press um, is related to someone who used to work with my dad as a police officer. <laughs> so, <laughs> exactly, there was only a you know, it was only. Um, one or two degrees of separation there so it does happen it can happen <laughs> um, right Millie this has been so fascinating it's been lovely getting an insight into you personally it's been lovely to hear about this exciting stuff that you're doing and folks we you know in the in the description you'll find the link to that Twitter handle for for that work because that just sounds so fascinating everyone I know is going to keep an eye on that and uh, geography teachers knowing geography teachers they're kind of probably going to look at that and think I'm going to make this into some kind of resource <laughs> Can't let you go without doing We Are All Geographers, <laughs> where we're going to link you to our previous guests. The wonderful uh, Adina and Kelly uh, last week, wonderful couple from Massachusetts, United States. Mm-hmm. It was such a delight to talk to. But they thought that the the word that they're going to give you, Millie, is the word course. So mm-hmm. chat for 30 seconds about the word course. Okay? Yeah. So, and then you get the chance to come up with your own word. So I'm going to set my timer up so you know when 30 seconds is up. And when you're ready, Millie, you can just start and tell 30 seconds on the word course. Okay. Um, I think that geography as a um, like A-level course and as it's taught in schools is actually really, really different to how it's taught in universities. And it makes me so mad <laughs> because geography at university is such an expansive, such an interesting subject. And I feel like I know they have to learn like the basics to get to a level and beyond but it makes me so mad because geography at university is so interesting there's so much interesting things going on but they just don't tell you about at a level <laughs> i wish they did uh, time's up you took a very personal approach to the word course there so course as in a learning course like a teaching course yeah um right then your turn 
So you can come up with a word um, for our following guest to speak for 30 seconds. What do you reckon? Uh, I'm going to say Matt because, you know, that's what I spend most of my time sort of making. (laughs) It's so, you know, this is the 45th or 6th episode now and I don't think anyone has come has used the word map yet. I'm like, this is a geography podcast. Why has no one said the word map yet? Um, so thank you for that one, Millie, because it needed to be said at some point and you're the person who's done it. Right, amazing. Okay, we've we've already given, um, was it Calvin the, a shout out? Yeah, so, yeah. So we're giving Calvin a shout out who sounds like a, a wonderful colleague to, to work with. Um, you've kind of, without naming anybody, you've, named, you've, you've mentioned some friends, but is there anybody else that you would like to say hi to? Not like I would have previously said like my old disc supervisor, but like I'm back at the department. So, <laughs> and I've seen um, the director of the Derivats program really recently. Um, I think I'd probably say hi to like um, everyone from the Equator Research School because uh, I took part and that was a really, really sort of like cool thing. And it was really nice to sort of meet loads of other people doing geography and geoscience. Cool. Yeah, we're, we're, we're a fun bunch. <laughs> That's geography lot, aren't we? So that sounds really cool. Um, so social media. So once again, give a plug to your the research one, but also if, you, if you're happy to mention your one as well, because if people, I guess, uh, want to get in contact and say, hey, this is a geography, sounds really cool, because you are, uh, and they want to follow you. So, what, so give those two social media accounts for us. Well, so the project um, Twitter is at Alder in Arctic. Um, Twitter doesn't allow you to write lots of words in your... Uh, Username, so I have to cut out the. Um, my own is um, at mharding110. Uh, and yeah, please feel feel uh, feel free to reach out to me um, about like any of this, or if you know you want me to talk to people about like what I do, because I think yeah. universities don't do a very good job of telling you like what possibilities there are with. It's geography. crazy, isn't it? Yeah, it's because the world's your oyster, really. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and uh, and. Ellie Barker, curious geographer. I really do think you could have a wonderful chat with Millie. Um, so I know Ellie's listening, uh, the one for Ellie Barker. So, so yeah, um, I think it, you know, I, I, it's so inspiring that the work you're doing is so interesting. I think it's really, really going to show, and it's not not just not just the work that you're doing, but the journey that you've undertaken to get to where you are now, and you know, and then for, I think it's very inspiring because you've got people who young people who like i can't do it i can't be that person i can't be the person who's doing this this research or whatever and yet here you are despite Mm -hmm. folks like myself and you and lots of people having this imposter syndrome thinking why why am i here i shouldn't be here or i'm never going to make it but we're still doing these amazing things so folks millie is a, a really good example of that don't give up on things that you might you know you're trying to achieve because you can do it and you will feel from time to time that you're out of place or you might not deserve it because that is normal, it's human, and it has, it has a word, imposter syndrome, as we've already discussed. Um, Millie, this has been um, so – thank you so much for reaching out and coming on the podcast. This has been fantastic getting to know you. I really am going to follow your work. Um, it's so fascinating me, someone who's interested in climate change and things like that in particular. And, yeah, and um, let us know how – hopefully you'll get on that river in Alaska. Yes, I hope so. And yeah, I just want to say thank you so much uh, for having me. It's been such a great experience. And yeah, it's been really cool to sort of come on and like talk a little bit about what I'm doing sort of in my day to day. Thank you so much. 
thank you so much for listening. We hope you had fun. If you haven't already done so, please subscribe so more stories and experiences can drop into your favorite podcast app. If you fancy being a guest or have any feedback, follow us on Twitter at CoffeeJogPod and send us a DM. Or you could email coffeeandjog at geogramblings.com. Until next time, keep jogging.